On. All right. Well, it is good to be here this morning, and it's good to see everyone here. Uh, starting of a new year. Go through the rituals, don't we? New Year's resolutions, things like that. You ever wondered why we do those kind of things? New Year's resolutions. I think sometimes it's like we look back on the year we just went through and we just kind of come to the point that we feel like we didn't get a lot accomplished. And so it's like here's the start of something new and we can start again. I want to talk to you today. If you got your Bibles with you, I'm going to be in Romans chapter 8 this morning. And I'm going to be dealing... Uh, with chapter, I mean, with verse 31 through the end of the chapter. But I want to say this to get us kind of started. Uh, we hear much. We hear much about the holiness of God. And I'm going to say this. If you come here on a regular basis or you run kind of in the circles that we would say we kind of run in, and, and I don't mean like maybe physically, but if you're on the Internet and you're listening to different preachers preach and stuff. We hear much about holiness. We hear much about being real in our Christian walk. And and sometimes to the point that the preaching ha- has, it, I mean, I'm just going to be honest. Sometimes, man, it is some, it's some hard preaching. And, and to be quite honest, it's much needed. We live in a time when there is a lot of fluff that's being preached behind pulpits. Okay? But... But I'm going to tell you this, sometimes we get to the point, though, that we start setting these, these bars, these marks for us to attain to. And any time we start going there, I can assure you it's not going to end well. And so that's what I want to kind of give you a thought to get started. And I'm going to pray, and we're going to read some things. Father, this morning, Lord, as we come before you, we need you, God. We, we can so often look around and think we need this or that or all these different things that, oh, our life would be fulfilled and we would have all this happiness and all of these things. And yet, Lord, what we really need is we need you. We need, as you prayed, we need our joy to be full in Christ. Lord, today I pray for each one sitting here, that God, that you would open our hearts to receive, open our minds to understand, God. Give us clear sight, open ears, God, and such a joy to follow you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39, what this is is this kind. Of, this is this is like a summation of the previous chapters that Paul had been writing to the Romans. And I'm going to start with these questions, but I'm going to. I want you to understand something. There's four questions that we're dealing with here. But but he starts with this, and he says, "What then shall we say to these things?" And now you could look and you could say, "Well, what things?" And you know, a lot of times we just back up to the immediate. But in order to answer this question, 
we need to say, well, what things is he speaking of? And basically, we have to just do a summary. Don't get scared. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that of the book of Romans. You see, the book of Romans was written that people would understand that our justification, our right standing before God is only in Christ Jesus through faith in Him. It's, it's believing what God has given to us. And so when you start in Romans 1, when you start with about verse 18, Paul writes this and he says, For the wrath of God has been revealed. And from 118 to chapter 3, verse 20, he's going to give us a picture of the wrath of God, how it's revealed. And he shows the sinfulness of men and how sinful we are and how that people go deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. I've heard before I was in the prison one time and I was preaching on the attributes of God and I was showing how holy God is and how sinful man is. And one of the inmates, when he left, he was not happy with me. And he said, I'm so sick and tired of this negativity. I want to hear something positive. I wonder who he's been listening to. And so the next month when I came back, I said, I want to talk about the depravity of man. I want you to know your role in salvation. You are a sinner. You're far more wicked than you ever thought you were. And you played your part well. That's, that's kind of a summary of Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And then in verse 4, he says, Big God who is rich in mercy. Wow. When you start in chapter 3, verse 21, Paul changes the theme from the wrath of God being revealed to the righteousness of God being manifested or made known. And he begins to show us how that we are justified, how that we are declared not guilty, a legal term that used that, that how in the world can a man stand just before God? And he begins to show us, and he begins to show us how that we can stand in a right condition before this holy God. And it's only through faith in the person and the work and who Christ said he was and what he has done in our behalf. It's by faith. Chapter 5, he shows us that being justified, that we now... We have peace with God through faith in Christ. He, he goes on in the chapter and he says that we were dead. We, 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 everybody, listen, you only have two federal heads in this world. Everyone that is under the headship of Adam is dead. And everyone who is under the headship of Christ is alive. In chapter 6, he goes and tells us this. He says, you once were dead in sin, but now that you who are born again are alive in Christ. He says, you were slaves to sin, now you're slaves to righteousness. And we get into chapter 7 in the beginning, and he says, and this is huge, to understand what we're going to talk about today, you've got to get this. He says, 
You are no longer under the law. Now, I'm going to save part of chapter 7 for just in a minute. But he goes into the 8th chapter and he says, Now there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. He says, You are heirs with Christ. Listen, if you're a believer, this is what he's saying about you today. You are no longer under condemnation. You are heirs with Christ. You have been adopted by His Holy Spirit. You've been given a hope. And once again, that hope is not this, oh, I hope. No, that confident expectation that what God has said He's going to do, it's as good as it's already done in the believer's life. And then we come to this part down here, and he says, I'm going to pick up in verse 27 of chapter 8. And he says, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Oh, brethren, how good it is when we don't even know how to pray for ourselves. The Spirit of God is actually rewording, reworking our heart that our prayers start lining up with God's will. How many people have said, I will never do this. Oh, Lord, please don't let me do that. And before it's all over, they're saying, Lord, take me, lead me in that right there. And he says, now listen, these are famous verses for us. These are very popular So popular, I think we miss them sometimes. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, I want to ask you something. We know that he's, if you're a believer, he's called you. We know that if he's called you, he's justified you, right? We know that if you're justified, but then he says, and those whom he justified, never fails. He says, he has glorified. Now, I want to ask you something. You look around today, does anybody look glorified in here? New Year's resolution, working on it, right? But ain't nobody there. But according to God's view of you as a believer, it's already a done deal. Then he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, I want you to listen. What shall we say to these things? Brethren, there ought to be such a joy in our heart. We ought to be jumping and shouting. I'm going to be honest. Now, I know sometimes we don't sing because we don't know the song that, you know, we don't know the songs that well. Hey, get over it. In prison, you know what they say? If you can't sing, if you can't sing good, sing loud. Listen, our listen, 
We're singing songs about worthy of worship, and we're going, worthy of worship. Really? Really? Listen, I'm not a good singer if I know the songs. Sing. Worship the Lord. What shall we say to these things? Brethren, here's what I want you to understand. We go through life so much of the time, and it's more like this. 2014, wait, 2015, I'm off a year. 2015, man, I messed up so much. Woe is me. You know, I, I wanted to do this, and I wanted to do that. I wanted to do all these different things, and I just didn't, I mean, I just didn't come through. But 2016 is here. I'm going to write down some things. I'm going to really, really muster up the strength to do these things. I want to ask you something. How many of you can tell me today that you are full of the joy of the Lord when Nehemiah, when, in the book of Nehemiah, when they had rebuilt, was it the wall or the, or the temple? The wall. They had rebuilt the wall, and, and they built a wooden pulpit. Now, I want to tell you something. A lot of people tell you wooden pulpits, pagan, pagan Christianity, blah, blah, blah. Well, I read it right there in Nehemiah. There was a wooden pulpit. He stood up above the people, and he spoke to them. Okay, hey, all right, so it's biblical. Now, as he read the law to all the people... The people mourned, and they were full of grief. And Nehemiah says, or Ezra says this, he says, don't mourn and don't be grieved. And he says this, he says, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, I want you to think about that. I used to hear that, and I thought, no, no. I think, you know, somebody had quoted, and I think, no, the, the strength of the Lord is my joy. But no, it didn't say that. It says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord. You see, here's the problem. If you can't raise your hand and listen, I'm with you. I go around so much of the time like, gosh, I want to do this, but I'm not doing it. I wanted to do better here, but I'm not getting this done either. And all of a sudden, I start looking at all the things that are building up that I'm not getting accomplished and woe is me. You see, so many of us, we view our... Listen, listen to me close. We find our joy in our efforts in the Lord. We find our joy after something's been accomplished. That's wrong thinking. You need to find your joy today in the Lord. If you're going through a trial today, look to the Lord and find and find your joy in Him. Now, why do I say that? Now, you could go, well, I'm telling you to look to the Lord, but what does that mean? Oh, my gosh, what did He say? He says, what then shall we say to these things? Listen, folks, we were sinners. We were full of sin. We were full of ourselves. And in spite of us, 
God graciously, lovingly, in His kindness, reached down and plucked us out of that filth mire that we were dwelling in, and we loved to swim in it. We drank down sin like it was water. And instead of destroying us, God saved us. Your joy needs to be in Him. You see, so much of the time, we're trying to do things to feel worthy enough to find joy in the Lord. I'm going to tell you the danger of that. Listen to me. If you find your joy in what you're doing, okay, two things is going to happen. First of all, you're not going to find joy in that. And let me tell you why. Because everybody who's not doing what you're doing is going to suck the joy right out of you. What do I mean? Well, I'm over here. I have no joy. Now I'm doing things. I'm, I'm serving the Lord. I'm out feeding the poor. I'm out helping the homeless. I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm doing all these things. And what's Boyd doing? He ain't doing nothing. I'm up every Sunday trying to get people to go. And let's go street evangelize. And nobody's going with me. Lord, these, these slugs are just sucking the life out of me. No joy in that one either. What is your worth in? Where do you find your worth? Where do you find who you are? How do you define yourself? So many people today, I am a street preacher. I am a pastor. I am a song leader. I am a television evangelist. I am this. I am that. We have to have these titles to give us worth, don't we? Here's a title for you. For every believer in here, you are a child of the King. You're a child of the King. No higher title than that. Well, I mean, God's title is higher than that, but as far as us, there's no higher title than that. But Lord, but I know that, Lord, but I want to do this. I want, my, I want everybody to know my name. Now, what shall we say to these things? Listen, when he talks about, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? I want to ask you something. Do you believe that God is for you today? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like a lot of you feel like, I know God is for us as a group. No, 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 I'm talking about you individually. You put your name in the blank there. God is for Dylan. God is for Deborah. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, makes me think of some things. makes me think of Gideon. You remember Gideon, the mighty man of valor? Anybody familiar with that story? Gideon, the mighty man of valor. Let me tell you his start, okay? The Midianites have taken control. It's God's judgment upon Israel. This is the time of the judges before the kings. And they always go about 40 years. You'll find the book of Judges. They make it good about 40 years, and they really start falling off, and they follow other gods, and God brings judgment upon them. And in this case, the Midianites had come in and had just oppressed them, okay? And where's the mighty man of valor? Well, he's hiding up under a terebinth tree, and he's threshing wheat. You think, why would he be working there? Well, he's working there because every time they would make food or whatever, the Midianites come down and take it from him. 
So in order to, to not starve, in order to be able to eat, he has to hide from the enemy. And the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon. He says, oh, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. <laughs> Gideon says, hey, we've heard a lot of stories about what God's done. Why are we, you know, what's... And he says, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon's response was this. <coughs> it's a paraphrase, but he said, you've got the wrong guy. He says, you see, I'm... I'm of the tribe of Manasseh, and if I, I think it's right, Manasseh, right? And they was the smallest tribe, I believe. And he says, and in that tribe, he says, my family is the smallest, and, and of my family, I am the least. I am the, the last one in my family. You know what he's saying? I am the least of the least of the least. You've got the wrong guy. And God said, go in this, thy might. What was his might? The arm of the Lord, the strength of the Lord. And he went, and he went into this battle. And just to re- really make it quick, because I, I don't want to take up a lot of time on different things, but to make it quick, Gideon starts with 32,000 guys to go to war. Problem is, he's fighting the Midianites, and it says they were as the sand of the sea. You couldn't count them. There were so many of them. 32,000 is a lot, but you can count it. And God says, I know this people, <coughs> this, they'll take credit for this. He says, tell everybody it's afraid to go home. 22,000 leave. He's left with 10,000. He said, well, I know you, and you'll still take credit. He says, you got 10,000. He says, we've got to bring it down to what I really need. And he says, uh, go down to the water. Everybody drinks water this way. Set them to the side. Everybody drinks water this way. Well, there were 300 that drank it in a certain way. And he says, this is the ones I'm going to save you with. Well, you'd think, my gosh, you're going to need a nuclear bomb or something, right? Nope. He said, I want you to take torches. I want you to take pitchers. And I want you to take trumpets, horns. <coughs> <clears throat> and God had Gideon put all them people around that mountain where the enemy was at. They took their torches. They put them in the pitchers. They broke them. They made a huge sound. It looked like a ball of fire on a mountain. They blew their trumpets. And there was more. The enemy killed more of each other than even Israel killed of them. If God is for us, who can be against us? And there's other stories I could tell you about. But this is, I don't think this is the context of what he's talking about here. You see, in the Romans chapter 7, when Paul says we're no longer under the law, he says the question, he's, he's expecting the question, the, the rebuttal. And the rebuttal was this, well, if we're not saved by the law, then what good was the law? I don't know what it is about people. I don't know what it is about men. I don't know what it is about Christians. But no matter how much we preach and how much we teach, that we're not under the law, we're under grace. Thank you, Dylan. We constantly, we constantly find ourselves making these, these, these laws, if you want to put, in our own mind that gives us some kind of self-worth before God. That we're not under condemnation. Are you with me? Do you follow me today? How many of you do stuff like this? This year... I'm going to read through the Bible. I don't know why we got to do it in a year. That just seems to be the way, the systematic way that people think. Got to read through the Bible in a year. Listen, folks, I don't care if it takes you 10 years. You just need to be feeding in the Word of God daily. Some people are just blazing through everything. They ain't getting nothing, but they made it through. But what we do is we go, well, the thing says three, times a day, three chapters a day and this many on Sunday, and we'll make it through in a year. Oh, man, I'm doing great. Three days into it. I'm already in chapter 10. Didn't get to read today. Well, I'll do six tomorrow. 
Well, I only did four, so I'm, I don't know how many I'm behind now, but the first month's over, and man, I'm 20 chapters behind. Woe is me. You follow me? You see, chapter 7 is, is one of those chapters there's controversy to it. Some people believe that Paul was not a Christian there. Some people believe that Paul was a Christian. I personally am in the second group. I don't believe Paul, I mean, I do believe Paul was a Christian there. People go, oh, no, no, you know, he, all these reasons. I'm not going to go into all those, but here's why I think. When you, read, when you hear Paul's testimony of his own life before Christ, Paul was not, oh, I'm trying to keep the law and I'm not making it. Woe is me. No, 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 Paul, you go read in Philippians. He says, you want to do some bragging? I'll do some bragging. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning zeal. I persecuted the church. You know, he goes on, I did this and I did this. I mean, he was, he was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. I don't see where Paul's going, I'm just not measuring up. Now, I don't know when this really happened in Paul's life, if I'm right. I can almost see it happen on the Damascus Road, coming into contact with the living Savior, and all of a sudden the realities of everything that you tried to do, all the effort you made, it paled in comparison to anything that would ever cause you to stand before God in a right standing I don't know. I don't know if it was after that that Paul was just like a lot of us. And he, was, he had these things he was going to do. He was going to try to do this and this and this. And he didn't measure up. Now, I want to ask you something. How many of you believe that God loves you? How many of you believe that God loves you unconditionally? Listen, listen to this again. He says in verse 32, he says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him, up for, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I want you to take those two questions right there, and I want you to tell me what that would do in, to you. If you're not here today where you can say, I am fully assured that God loves me, period. See, what I'm saying is God loves me unconditionally not god loves me when i'm doing well listen your idea of doing good if you still saw it in the eyes of god it wouldn't look so well it just wouldn't because you're you're comparing it to a holy god no 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 god loves you i remember hearing a sermon by paul washer he was in Peru, man. He's down there. He's on the firing lines. He, the war is going on in Peru. He's a missionary down there. He's trying to preach, and they're doing all... I mean, he's going underground. I mean, all this stuff. And he had all these things he set in his mind. He doesn't go into great detail, but he does go into this detail. He finally curled up in a ball in the fetal position and cried like a baby. And he said, God just spoke to me. Now, not audibly, but God spoke to him. And he says, Paul Washer, I love you. And Paul said, it hit me that I didn't have to move to the, the right one inch. I didn't have to move to the left. I didn't have to be a preacher. I didn't have to be anything. God simply loved me. Now, I want you to know something today. When we think about God graciously pours out upon us all these things. I don't care if you become the best preacher in the world, okay? I don't care if you become 
a better street evangelist than Ray Comfort. You're a missionary for 37 and a half years somewhere, and you die there in that country. There is nothing greater that you will ever grab a hold of than God himself and the assurance to know that God loves you. He doesn't love you because of you. He loves you in spite of you. And your joy, your joy in Him, in that He is perfect, in that He is gracious, in that He is kind, in that He is loving, in that He is all-powerful, when your joy is in the Lord... That's where your strength lies. All of them other things will pale in comparison to knowing those truths. And I fear far too much of the time we leave here and we are beat down because we hear good preaching and it's good and it's challenging. But guess what? I'm just not measuring up. Sometimes, folks, I'm the one doing the preaching. I'm not measuring up. Now, listen. He asked the next question. First question was, if God is for us, who can be against us? No one. You cannot appeal to a higher authority than God himself. If God's for you, there's nothing and no one that can be against you. Verse 33, second question, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. What, what he's, he's talking about like a, a legal term again. Charges. Charges have been brought against so-and-so. We read in the paper all the time. There's charges. Guess what, folks? Satan is our accuser, and he accuses us, right? He brings charges against us all the time. And guess what? Most of the time, he's absolutely right. He's right. So what's my answer? It's God who justifies Anybody remember a story about David, King David? You remember what God said about David? What was David? A man after God's own heart, right? Well, the man who was after God's own heart found himself where he should not have been. He should have been on the front. He should have been on the line on, on, in, the, in the going to war, leading his country. But he decided to stay home. He decided to walk around at nighttime on the rooftop. And he looked down upon a beautiful woman taking a bath. Just to be honest, there's probably not a man in this room that could would probably run from that. I mean, it, there's, just, there's just a natural attraction. But guess what? It, it, it's a sinful attraction, too. And the man after God's own heart found himself pulled into that. Had her requested to come pay a visit. He slept with her, finds out she's expecting a child, brings her husband home from the war, going to look like he's giving him a weekend pass home. Says, hey, man, go home, man. You, you know, go see your family. And man, he says, how can I go in there? How can I do this when Joab and all, all my fellow soldiers are at war? I can't do that. He slept outside the door. Next night, David gets him drunk and says, go home. 
and he still doesn't do it. David takes a letter, writes it on it, with these instructions to Joab. He says, put Uzziah, or Uzziah, no, Uriah, put Uriah at the, the front of the hottest battle and withdraw from him. He, he rolls it up, seals it with his stamp, says, hey, Uriah, when you get there, could you give this to Joab? You want to talk about wicked? It is wicked upon wicked, isn't it? God sends the prophet Nathan to David, and he says, David, there were two people in this town, and one, he's just a guy who had one little, one little ewe lamb that he loved. He carried it everywhere he went. He said, there was a rich man, though, that had, a, had lots of sheep, but a, a friend came, and instead of taking one of his sheep, he took the one ewe lamb from that guy, and he slaughtered it, and he made a feast. And David's his anger was set on fire. And he said, the man that has done this shall surely die. And Nathan said, you're the man. The law demanded his death. David himself, in his own judgment, put the death penalty on himself. When Nathan told him, you're the man, and explained to him what he had done, he knew what he had done. David's response was this, I have sinned against God. Do you know what God's response to David was immediately? And God has forgiven you. How? The accusation was right. David admitted it. You're guilty. God has forgiven him. Is God just to forgive a guy like that? Is he just to do that? David sinned. David should die. Yeah. God is just. And let me tell you why. Because he said he did not spare his own son. Back to 32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now listen to me. Do you remember when Jesus was in the garden and he's praying and he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Now, people will say Jesus' will and God's will were, were divided there. I'm, I have a hard time with that one. I'm just going to be honest with you. I have a hard time buying that one. What I think was going on was this. I think... Jesus was saying this, Father, is there any other way? Is there any other way that I can redeem David? Is there any other way that Paul Wilson's debt can be canceled? Is there any other way, Father, if it's possible? But nevertheless, not my will, but yours and the Father answers with this. No, son, there is no other way. The only blood that can truly be shed to redeem David, to buy Paul Wilson, is your own. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? No one. It's God 
who justifies. Every sin that has ever been committed committed is going to be paid for. Every unbeliever will die for their own sins, but every believer, their sins have been paid for by Christ in full on Calvary. Then he asks another question, the third question. He says, who is to condemn? Who is to condemn? Here's here's really a question I want to ask you. Who is to condemn? Because let me tell you who I think condemns us the most. It's ourself. It's ourself. Sometimes the more that you know, the more that you grow in truth, sometimes the more condemnation you put on yourself. Let me explain something to you, okay? When you're struggling and you have fell on your face in sin, okay, do not say, I am condemned. No. You can say this, God, my Father, is convicting me of the sin I have committed. But we are not under condemnation. You see, that's what... You see, when you get in chapter 7, I think what Paul's trying to tell us is, you were never, ever going to be justified by the law. Not before your conversion, not after your conversion. You're not under the law. You're not under condemnation. Now, lest anybody thinks I'm antinomianism, which means I'm against the law, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, Christ raises the bar on the law. He raises it to this point. Love, your, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. He really raises it when he says, I want you to love one another the way that I loved you. Anybody been successful at that one yet? No, but what it should do to the believer, it ought to give us such a joy, such a, a zeal to know that we are loved so much. Folks, listen to me. We are loved by God. That ought to, that ought to shake us. Who is to condemn? Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. You need to quit talking to yourself and start preaching to yourself. You need to start preaching to yourself what the Word of God says. Let me ask you something. What does God say about you? He says you're blessed, you're redeemed, you're adopted, you're holy. Right? There's a lot of things. that We're the, we're the, we're the children of God. Heirs with Christ. That's what he says about you. Do you, listen, so much of the time you'll hear a guy like me preaching this stuff and you're sitting there going, yeah, well, I know he means this about everybody else, but he doesn't mean it about me. Folks, he means it about you. If you've been born again, he's talking to you. And I want to tell you something. If you're lost today, and God's opening your ears. Come to the Savior. Come. Taste of this bread that you don't have to buy. Drink of this wine that you don't have to work for. Come and taste of the Lord. See how good He is. See how gracious He is. 
But if you know him, he's lavished his love upon you. Who is to condemn? You don't even get that right, folks. See, David condemned himself, did he not? This man shall surely die. God said, nope. I've already forgiven you. There's a part of us that wants to refuse that forgiveness. Can you imagine David? You want to know how I, you know how I know this? Do you remember when, G, when Peter denied Christ three times? And then at the end of John, they're there. Peter's there, but he's, he, you kind of get this image of him kind of sheepishly not being up front and vocal like before, but kind of staying away. And finally, Jesus just works his eyes through the crowd, and he singles him right upon Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Don't you know that Peter hated that question? When you sin and God was to look at you, bread, and say, bread, do you know that I love you? And there's something in you that's just tearing you apart because you know what you've done, and you're like, I'm not deserving of your love. And he says, you never were deserving of my love. When you were a filthy, wicked sinner, I loved you. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who was raised. Romans 4.25 said he was raised for our justification. He died. He lived the life that we could not live. He died the death to pay for our sins. He was our substitute. And he was raised again for our, ju our justification. Listen, if he doesn't raise from the dead, we are men most miserable. We have no hope without a resurrected, living King of kings and our Savior. We have nothing. All these false religions, they're all worshiping dead idols, dead people. Folks, we, only, we got the only living hope there is. And His name is Jesus Christ. It's Christ who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What does that mean, He's interceding? Well, some people get this idea that He's just up there like, Ah, Russ. Sinned again. Uh, now, here's what I think. I think the perpetual, the, the eternality of God, the eternality of Christ at the right hand of God, meaning He is in power. He is the one who is the judge of all. His continual, just His presence is speaking on our behalf for eternity. You get that? You get what I'm saying? He's not up there just rambling all the time, just, oh, you know, Don messed up, Sue messed up, you know. No, his presence is continually speaking on our behalf. When we sin, I don't know. I mean, this is probably just the way I would picture it. But all that our Father does is he looks at our, at our Savior and he says, forgiven, forgiven. And that ought to put such a joy in our heart. Now listen, he says, now he asks, the, he asks the fourth question. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's just so hard sometimes for believers to get it in our heads that God loves us unconditionally. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Oh, Lord, help us. Help us with this TBN hogwash garbage that says that your best life now means no trials, no troubles, tons of money in the bank, best cars to drive that never get flats. Your best life now, your best life now may mean that you're in a prisoner of war camp with no clothing for the cold, infested with lice and fleas. But miraculously, God was able to get a Bible snuck in by you. And your name is Corey Ten Boom, and you're leading women in a Bible study, and they're coming to Christ in the Nazi regime. That may be your best life now. This garbage that everything is well. Listen, folks, everything was not well with our Lord and Savior. So tribulation, he's talking about, in general, he's talking about just that feeling of being pressed down. Distress, kind of being squeezed in. Anybody feel this? Ever? He says, what about persecution? Start living a life worthy of being persecuted. You know that kind of life where you're just out preaching the gospel and they threaten you, don't do it again. You go ahead and do it. And then they bring you in, they beat you. The same guy who denied Christ three times is now jumping up and rejoicing that he was counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. Live your life in a manner worthy of worship to Him that causes you persecution. Listen, folks, there's not two kinds of Christians. There's not those kinds that are the undercover, you know, not going to tell nobody. You know, we're going to live incognito our whole life, so much so that nobody even knows success. There's not two kinds of Christians. There's one. Now, Paul, I think almost prophetically, this is right before Nero is going to really bring persecution to the church. But look what he's saying. He says, what shall separate you from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution? What about famine? Hear about um, uh, Darlene Rose had, had dysentery, which sounds horrible. She's in a prisoner of war camp. They're feeding her this nasty, I don't know if it was rice, who knows what it was, but it was so nasty and the flies were so bad. As soon as they'd slide under the door to her, the flies would be on it. She'd have to fight the flies off just, just to eat this. She is a saint of God. She is a beloved child of God. And in this trial, she prays. She sees some women out in the courtyard and she sees some bananas. And she says, oh, God, could you get me one banana? She said, I could, they so, she said, I could just almost feel them and taste them. And she started running through her mind every way possible that maybe God could get her a banana. Could she ask this guy to sneak one in? But no, if they caught him, they'd kill him, and this wouldn't happen. And she, she exhausted all the ways that God could possibly work. While she's exhausting all the ways that God could get her anything, the, the leader of the camp where she had been had come to check on her 
and the one where she was at, and this guy hated her, where she was at, they both came down, and they saying some things, and it was all in Japanese, and she couldn't understand it, and made out a little bit, and then they left. She just, you know, and and then she heard footsteps coming back in a little bit, and she thought, oh, my gosh. She said, I forgot to bow. She knows they're going to come in. They're going to beat her for failing to bow. So she curled up in a ball, and she waited for the beating. Door opens. She hears something. She waits for the beating. She hears the door slam. She hears the footsteps fading off into the distance. She waited and waited. Finally, she lifted her eyes, lifted her head up. She looked in that prison cell with her. She counted there were 96 bananas. And you know what she said? God, I have no integrity. (laughs) When I asked you to get me one banana, I didn't think you could give me any, and you brought me 96. I'm not worthy to eat. And she said, it's like God spoke to her and said, Child, it's in these times right here that I want to bless you. I don't remember exactly how it was said. but Yeah, if if your idea of the gospel and your idea of Christianity is that we never go through hard things, we never starve, we never go through famines, you've got the wrong gospel and you've got the wrong Jesus. He says, go through nakedness. Corey Ten Boom, they stripped them down constantly. They didn't give them much to wear. Guards would ridicule them and probably do whatever they wanted. He says... Will that separate us from Christ? No. Will danger, will, will the sword, we're talking about wartime, will any of these things separate us from the love of Christ? And then he says this, as it's written, now listen to this part. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now if you view that verse like this, well we're all just like here in the sheep pen Come on, Aaron, time for you to be slaughtered. Like, oh, gosh, no. That's the wrong way he's saying it. No, it's when your focus is on Christ so much and you understand this Lord of glory and you understand everything he's done when he starts in, what then shall we say to these things? What then shall we say? We say this, I am willing to be killed for your sake. I am willing to line up and be the next one slaughtered because of your name, because of your glory. That's the way he's saying that. Do you count yourself ready to die for Christ? Now listen to this. He says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. How are you more than a conqueror? Listen to me. We think of those that conquer is only those who come out on the other side with their arms raised. They're the victor. They won. No, we're more than that. We come through those things and sometimes our arms are raised and sometimes we go through things and we lose our life in the battle, but we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Our life we count, we should count as nothing for the name of Christ. We should use our life and say, God, use me, but count it. My life is replaceable 
Oh, my gosh, we think today so many Christian leaders, oh, what would happen if John Piper died? Guess what? He'd raise somebody up. Then everybody would forget who John Piper is. Boy, I probably touched the golden calf there. I, I, don't get me wrong, I like John Piper. Okay, I just don't uh, view him as an idol. More than conquerors. I don't know if you remember the 1992 Olympics. But there was one story that is the most famous story that came out of the 1992 Olympics. What's incredible is it was pertaining to a, a track athlete from, I think, from Great Britain named Derek Redmond. And what he liked to specialize in was what we call the open quarter, the 400-meter run. In 1984, he got a real bad injury, and he fought through these things. And in 88, rolled around, and he was injured, and he couldn't go to the Olympics. And everybody thought he was probably done, but he fought. He just kept training and all this stuff, and he makes it on the Olympic team in the 1992 Olympics. He's one of the favorites that year to win. And in the semifinals, he lines up on the track. And they shoot the gun off. And in his own words, he said, I got the best start of my life. He said, I'm not a good starter, but I came out of the blocks. He said, I got the best start of anybody. And them guys know their race so well, they know where they're going to be at a certain time. And he says, I was already through the turn before I did what I normally did, you know, back here 10 meters. And, they, and, and, you're, and if you watch the video, the commentators are talking about Derek Redmond and what he's doing. And he hits about the 150-meter mark and a pop went off and it was like a gun and he pulled his hamstring he fell down the track he laid back and just the anguish all the training everything that goes into this to win a medal to win the gold medal all the heartache he had been through and he said I looked over and he says I seen the people with the stretcher and he said I jumped up he says Part of him at the time, he wasn't sure exactly where he was at in the race. He somehow he thought he was going to overcome some guys. And he starts hobbling around the track. And then all of a sudden, he's coming around the curve, and you see this kind of this thick dude coming out of the stands, and he's fighting his way to him. It's Derek Redmond's father. And he was coming out there to say, Son, you don't got to do this. And he's going out there. There's officials trying to stop him, and he's shoving them. And he's saying, that's my son. Get your hands off me. And he goes up, and he puts his arm around his son. His son is just in anguish. He's, he's probably more hurt than he's feeling the pain, but he's just, his face is just a face of anguish. And his father says, just stop. You're gonna, you don't got to do this. And he says, yes, I do. And his father says, and we're going to finish this together. And he puts his arm around his son, and he's holding him. And they're hobbling on his track. And while they're going, listen to me, those officials are still trying to get him off the track. And you see this man, he's just like shoving him. There ain't nobody going to stop him from what he's doing. 65,000 people in the stadium. Everybody is on their feet clapping. They get right before the finish line, and the father lets him go to, to, to cross that line by himself. 
Who or what shall separate you from the love of Christ? No one. Every obstacle, every condemning voice that comes out, our Father is shoving them and saying, this is my son. You get your hands off me. All the way to the finish line. There should be such a joy in the hearts of every believer to know that our Father, as much as that earthly father loved his son, it doesn't come close to the love that God has for you. Now I want to ask you something. The trials you're going through, do you want to quit? Yeah, we want to quit, don't we? God, give me patience. All you gave me was these trials. God, help me be more like Christ. All you did was give me these trials. It's only bringing you through the fire that you're going to get patience. It's only coming through the fire that you're going to look more like Jesus. Church, listen, throw away your New Year resolution list. If you want to work out, work out. You ain't got to have a resolution. You ain't got to do that. Just run, do something, do some push-ups. But here's what I want to tell you. Start viewing the things you're going through in eyes like this. Just like Derek Redmond trying to finish that race, his father was there holding him and limping down that track with him to the finish line. Start finding a joy in the things that God has set before you because He has chose you to go through it and He wants you to glorify Him and magnify Him in what you're going through. Anybody can complain. We all do it. Let's start going through these things in a way that reflects what our God and our Savior has done for us. He goes on and he says, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you persuaded of that today? Are you really persuaded? Or are you sitting there still just going, I think he's talking to everybody in here but me. Nope. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to every one of you. I've heard people say it. Was you preaching to me? Yep. Yeah, I was. And if I'm not... If you don't think I should be, then you're in the wrong building. Yeah, I'm talking to you. I'm pleading with you. Get into God's Word to know God. Don't get in it to understand this type of systematic theology or this doctrine or whatever. Get in it to know God, first and foremost. Our worship team, y'all got, are they there? There they are. 
We're going to sing another song, and then we'll be dismissed. I just want you to think and meditate deeply on these things. God bless each one of you.